the most exciting sport in the world. NASCAR. NASCAR. It's not an opinion. It's fact. And we're fanatics. This is the Behind the Wall podcast, brought to you by Behind the Wall Media. If it's race recaps, previews, driver news, results, schedules, and anything else NASCAR, we are your premier podcast. Flying by the seat of our pants, the Behind the Wall podcast with your host, Henry Hobbs, Josh Slate, Adam Thomas, and Jay Young. It's another edition of the Behind the Wall podcast. Henry Hobbs reporting live from Chesterfield, Virginia. We got Josh Slate still sitting in the parking lot at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Traffic's insane. Doing it from the car. Josh, I'm, I'm glad you made an effort to make it this week because I know the circumstances definitely aren't very good for you right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough in this parking lot. But in reality, uh, if you've ever been to Charlotte Motor Speedway and you've tried to park there, it's it's quite an ordeal. I went into this parking lot, easy parking, easy for the most part. Like I was just on the wrong side of the road, so I had to do a U-turn. But getting out of this place, I go to the end of my row and I'm like, try to get it a left because you know everybody's going that way and I thought that was the only way out but apparently the gate down at that that exit wasn't open so somebody like I didn't have enough room to like do like a full u-turn and go to the right so somebody else moved then I was able to go out and I was out of that parking lot in five minutes before that I was sitting in the same spot the exact same spot with my car in park for like 30 minutes that's got to be fan probs because I I was Adam and I were in and out of the track real quick the longest the longest part was waiting on the the shuttle from the media center to the media parking lot outside of turn three, but once we got to the car, it was you know maybe five minutes to get out of traffic and get on the way because I had to had to go drop Adam off at the hotel, yeah. so I, I I had zero issues. I've never had to like park at Charlotte, so like this is my first time doing the whole parking ordeal because I usually just go and camp there and I walk to the track, and then if like we really need it like. Uh, just go and like find parking right up next to it with like the handicap pass and stuff. So this, it was interesting. I'm glad I'm out of there. I think it's just like a communication problem, just not opening the, ga- the gate down on the other end, but we're out. It sucks to be home, but cause Charlotte was just so good this weekend. Yeah, it was good. It, it does. It surprises me though. Cause I feel like for the most part, most of the tracks don't have severe traffic issues as you're leaving the race and, uh, it's interesting this weekend because it, we had a good crowd, but it wasn't a sellout crowd. So there weren't a absurd amount of cars out there, but I think out of all the tracks I've been to, the worst parking situation is definitely Talladega. When you park in North park, uh, across the street from Talladega where, uh, everyone camps throughout the week and they let people park in there on uh, the morning of race day. Uh, they shut the gates until all the car or majority of the cars, uh, that were parked right outside the track get on the Speedway Boulevard. So you're stuck in that parking lot until uh, probably about an hour after the race ends. And as you're pulling out, so are the haulers. So that's, it's the most demoralizing thing ever. Because at that point, once you're uh, once you're in your car and ready to go, 
just waiting in line in a parking lot that's closed absolutely sucks because usually at the end of a Talladega weekend, you're uh, tired, sunburned, hungover, uh, an assortment of different ailments, and it's it is the worst waiting game of all time. Yeah, like at Richmond, I've never really had a problem with it. Even a couple weeks back, like for the Xfinity race and Cup race, like I didn't have a hard time getting out of there. Granted, I went and helped like my dad put put down all the uh, like tailgating equipment we had, but Richmond just like it's always been easy to go and park there. And for, in my opinion, Charlotte's been the toughest at all the tracks I've been to, and I've been to like a good amount of tracks, but also like camped at a bunch of tracks, so it's different. And if you go to a track more often, you find different areas to park in and play people's yard, different places that aren't as crowded. So, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that it was my first time trying to park there and I don't really know the spots, but God, it was brutal. Yeah. At least it was a decent weekend of racing. You know, we started out Saturday with the Xfinity series. That was an exciting race. AJ Allmendinger flexing his muscles. Once again, he goes out and wins the Xfinity series race. He's streaking hard time. Uh, he's or he's got a, a a solid streak going there. Three straight Roval wins. Every time they've been at the Roval, he's won it. Chase Elliott was close. Had his uh, had the classic brush up with Harvick that really took him out of contention and almost took him out of the playoffs. But uh, you know, overall this weekend we we saw the the usual suspects out front. Almendinger for a bit during the Cup Series race until the engine expired, which was super unfortunate and very weird at the same time because. There wasn't a plume of smoke. There really wasn't a ton of fluid on the track. So for an engine that that's ended up uh, dying, I, I'd never seen something like that. And, you know, a dead engine with no smoke, no caution, no fluid. It was, it was really weird. I had no idea what happened to him. Yeah, I agree. It was really weird. They were going into the backstretch chicane. And when you leave that corner with a blown engine, you got to think maybe he missed a shift and uh, put it into... I guess first instead of third or second and well, you wouldn't be downshifting to fourth, but just like missed a shift in that way. So I don't know. That's what I can think of, but AJ Allmendinger was flying through the pack, but you talk about an Xfinity race. I want to touch there first. We saw a bunch of, I guess, different people up front. You got uh, Ty Gibbs, AJ Allmendinger, Sam Mayer, which I'm going to have a like discussion question in a minute just to ask, because I want to see where you stand on it. Uh, Daniel Hemrick, but of those four names that I listed, Austin Cindric wasn't really much of a factor in this race. Usually, think of the Xfinity Series road courses. You think Austin Cindric versus AJ Allmendinger. I don't know what happened to Austin Cindric this week, and he just didn't seem in contention the whole race. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I you know, it's it's interesting when you when you're in the infield covering a race, uh, live tweeting at all. You really don't pick up on, you know, a lot of the race and what's going on just because you're either in the media center tweeting stuff out or you're uh, at some part of the track. And especially with the Roval, it's not like you can see the entire track from where you're at. So I missed a good majority of the race and all the different stuff that wasn't happening uh, coming into turn three and the uh, turn three and turn four of the Roval. So, you know, I obviously didn't pick up on Austin Cindric's uh, struggles throughout the day. I was more focused on making sure I was in the right position if there were to be a caution and kind of figure out where I need to be. But, um, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, AJ Allmendinger crushed it. Uh, it was, it was quite the race. I enjoyed it from my perspective. I can only imagine, uh, what it was like in the stands. 
yeah, the race for the most part was really good. I mean, the only dry spot you had was in the middle of stage three where Edge Almadigger got to his, uh, his like seven, eight second lead and just kind of stayed there. But the battle for second heated up. We see, uh, we saw Sam Mayer up front. And if you didn't watch the race, uh, going in the green white checker, one lap to go, Sam Mayer spun Ty Gibbs in the infield portion of the track. And Sam Mayer, that was kind of like his breakout race. That's He didn't really have much going on. He was just riding in second, battling for the lead at times. You know Sam Mayer might be a solid road course racer, but we haven't seen him perform at uh, the short tracks, the intermediate tracks. And granted, this is only his first half season in the Xfinity Series, but do you think Sam Mayer can be a young like prodigy for junior motorsports like Noah Gragson is right now? Yeah, I agree 100%. We've we've seen what he can do in the trucks. He's he's gotten a couple he's got at least one victory. I don't know how yeah, many. He won Bristol many... in the trucks, but he hasn't run a full season. Yeah. So, he's had success so far. He's he's in a car that can obviously perform and finish well. It runs well. Uh so we I don't think you can make too many assumptions off of the season thus far since he's only won, uh run a handful of races. So, I think next year's definitely going to be the true test of where Sam Mayer stands skill wise. And he's with the right organization because JRM really builds up these drivers and essentially moves them on chase Elliott, William Byron, um, and Noah Gregson as time goes on. I still don't think Noah Gregson's ready for cup, but he's, you can see him mature as time goes on and he's starting to put together some, uh, pretty consistent runs. I, I think Sam Mayer's a great driver. Uh, next year definitely will be the uh, the the true test of his driver skill, though. Yeah, I agree. I think next year you look at the team that JRM's going to have. You got, uh, I think Sam Mayer is uh, end up going to the one because Michael Annette announced that he is retiring at the end of the season. You're going to have Noah Gragson there, Josh Berry, who's picked up two wins at two extremely different racetracks filling in for Michael Annette as well as the first half of the season when he was in the eight car. Then you got Noah Gragson and Justin Allgaier, two people that are winners in the Xfinity series. You know that they can run well in any given week, and it's only just time before they're champions in the Xfinity series. So that team's really going to push him. I think he'll be the weak link, but hopefully uh, practice, qualifying, and everything's back, and Sam Mayer can kind of like show what he's worth and show what he's not worth if uh, – he ends up not being too great, but who knows? Time will tell. One in a truck series. I just, I, I, we talked about it when Ross Chastain moved up the cup. Like, give me a full season, uh, trucks. Show me that you can do it. Yeah, he won at Bristol, but he didn't race a full season in trucks. You see what he can do at a short track. That's what all these kids grow up racing legend cars, late models. They're at short tracks. They need to be good at short tracks, or else what are they doing here? That's how they got there. That's where they're going to be best at. Yeah, I agree. I do want to touch on another driver who really, in my opinion, has not gotten the the praise he deserves after this weekend. Preston Pardis started in 37th, ended up in 7th. For a small team like that, that's that's pretty impressive on his end. I mean, he's up there contending for a top 10 with, uh, you know, Algar, Maya Snyder, Gregson, Brandon Jones, Hemrick, all, all the all the big name Xfinity drivers, and he finds a way to finish 7th, which was super cool to see. Yeah, it's always good to see P Money running well, as people call him. He's uh, he races with us sometimes Monday night racing, and every time we race to Miata somewhere, you know where to find Preston Parties. Road courses are his thing. He's uh, I don't know if he's won a championship in him, but he's pretty dang good. And uh, 
the Miata and MX-5 Cup. So whenever he comes to uh, race road courses in NASCAR, he's always one to watch. And I like seeing the smaller teams do good. The Josh Williams, Brandon Browns, Jeremy Clements. Uh, you see Rajah Carruth going and racing for Tommy Joe Martins next year. It's going to be a really interesting season. But it just shows like the tiers that we have in the Xfinity Series. And I feel like I mentioned that a lot. you got your high tiers, your mid tiers, your low tiers. And the mid tier throughout the past couple of years has grown grown closer and closer to that top tier. Jeremy Clements in the playoffs. Brandon Brown's a winner. Uh, Preston Partis showing that he can be good on road courses with these like underfunded teams. I think the Xfinity Series is just one to watch. The car is, my opinion, like the best car in NASCAR. I don't know. I love that series so much. And I think the storylines that are created, the team aspect of the Xfinity series, it's just, I don't know. It's awesome. And I wish we had these storylines in cup. I agree. Speaking of storylines, everyone at this point basically knows about AJ Allmendinger, where he, uh, his, his story in NASCAR and the many different chances he's gotten and the true redemption story behind his name. I think it's pretty cool that this lateness or mid season, we were, starting to get to the fact where we were like, all right, Austin Sendrick basically shoe in to win the championship, just running super well, consistent, winning races. And all of a sudden, A.G. Allmendinger's knocking on the door, ends up winning the regular season championship. And he's also uh, won uh, two races, or I guess uh, Bristol wasn't in the uh, playoffs, but uh, he's he won Bristol. Now he's won at, uh, at the Roval. And he's also going to tracks where he's contended in the past. So I think we're fixing to get a real good championship race between AJ Allmendinger and Cindric, and it may be one of the better Xfinity Series championship runs in a while. I can't remember the last time we had a true battle between two top-notch drivers for the title in Xfinity. Yeah, so obviously Charlotte was a cutoff race, and that's where he lost Jeb Burton, Mike Snyder, Jeremy Clements, and Riley Herbst. I'm pretty sure we all predicted that, so good for us for uh... – doing that correctly i think jay picked daniel hemrick so big oof on his part but you look at the top two in standings aj almendigger austin cindrick with his win uh aj almendigger's now holds a six point lead over austin cindrick but uh 33 points to the uh or 34 points sorry to the cut line i think aj almendigger and austin cindrick have put themselves above everybody else as championship favorites. And it's going to come down to who can perform the best at Phoenix. That's what this whole playoff format comes down to. And Austin Sendrick won there in the spring. So, and he's won there last fall to win the championship. So he knows what it takes to win at Phoenix. He knows what it takes to be in these big moments. The thing that scares me with AJ Allmendinger is he's never had to race this competitively in a playoff scenario. And I know it's, uh, different atmospheres from stick and ball sports to NASCAR, but the playoffs are still the playoffs. They know there's a championship on the line. I don't know. Could nerves get to AJ Allmendinger and that be the reason that he could lose his championship to Austin Cindric because it's so close. They're neck and neck the whole second half of the season. I think speaking about nerves, I, 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 out of all the drivers, I think Austin Cindric and AJ Allmendinger are the two that are exempt from that stereotype per se, I think if you had a uh, Justin Haley, Brandon Jones, Gregson, obviously they're going to have the nerves just because they're relatively new to the sport and they have they don't have as much experience or the uh, the uh, the experience in that position with Cindric last year and AJ Allmendinger, his experience since he's been in NASCAR for ten plus years now. So 
uh, I don't think that we get we end up at Phoenix assuming that they both make it there, uh, and AJ Allmendinger starts to fail because he he has the ner- he lets the nerves get the best of him. Um, any other driver, sure, but AJ Allmendinger, I just don't see that happening. He's he's got nerves of steel. He knows how to get it done, and I think out of all the drivers, obviously everyone wants to win the championship, but out of all of them, I think AJ Allmendinger wants it the most, and he's 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 shown that. This is what he wants. He wants to go out and win the, win this year, and uh, you know it's it's something different about him this year. He's he's got his he's focused. He's got his goal in mind, and I would be surprised if he falters one bit. Yeah, down to eight drivers in that series. Three more races in both Cup, Xfinity, and I think Trucks. So uh, it's gonna or no one more race, two more races for Truck, uh, four more for Cup and Xfinity. So but down to eight drivers in all three series. We talked about the eliminations in the Xfinity series. Let's talk about the eliminations in the Cup series. This week you had Alex Bowman. Where is it? Alex Bowman, William Byron, Christopher Bell, and Kevin Harvick all eliminated from the playoffs. The the storyline was all around Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott the whole day. We knew Kevin Harvick would get back at Chase Elliott for the incident that happened in Bristol, but we didn't know when. And it, it happened at the Charlotte Roval. Everybody heard about it. Harvick gets into Chase Elliott uh, in the exit of the road course almost, and Har- Chase Elliott spins, rear ends destroyed, but he still is flying around the racetrack. He's going uh, racing competitively with Denny Hamlin in the middle of the pit cycle, but then when Elliott gets behind Harvick, I think Harvick's looking too hard out of his rearview mirror, drives right into the old Tums heartburn turn, which is now DeWalt Tools uh, turn one. And wow, the place went crazy. I haven't heard Charlotte ever go that nuts. It gave me like vibes from when I was at Martinsville when uh, Joey Logano and Matt Kenseth had their incident. That's how it felt. Yeah. I. I think the this rivalry here is good for NASCAR. It it's something that we've been lacking as of recent, just because we haven't we haven't had the two drivers truly going at it, and they have a run in uh, once or twice a season, and you know we think it's going to be big. Uh, we think it's going to be a big deal, and it ends up just being a one or two race deal. But I don't I don't I think this is different. There's a lot of bad blood between the two. Uh, I will say that that was the biggest bonehead mistake that Harvick could have made. If he would have Assuming that Byron doesn't end up winning, if he would have stayed the course and just ran his race, he would have been a point to the good. And uh, Keselowski would have been out of the playoffs. So him going after Chase Alley and, you know, showing him up cost him a spot in the playoffs. And people aren't going to talk about it just because at the end of the day, it's you, you don't really know. But I, I, I believe, especially with how Harvick was running, both of them would have made it into the playoffs, but because he had to, he had to spin Chase Elliott and retaliate from the uh, the crap at Bristol. That's what cost him a spot in the playoffs once again. Uh, exciting for the fans, exciting for me, just because I enjoy seeing this type of crap. But overall, I was boneheaded from Kevin Harvick, one hundred percent. Yeah, it was a. Uh... It was interesting. Like I said, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And it came at a playoff elimination race. And in my opinion, it was too early to make a move like that. You know how good Chase is at these uh, road courses. You know that in that spot of the track, it's 
generally speaking, a low-speed corner for the speeds that they're hitting at the Roval. If he hits it, he's really going to have to hit it the right way for that car to be totaled and him not be back out there. So, like you said, a bonehead move by Harvick, but it created really good storylines. It added another chapter to the Chase Elliott versus Kevin Harvick uh, duel that's going on right now. But I would say I've been thinking, we've been trashing Kevin Harvick all year that he wasn't a championship contender. And we've been saying that he just has been underperforming. But you look at his stats, he's got 21 top 10s and 8 top 5s, which is pretty solid uh, compared to Chase Elliott's season. I mean, Chase has 13 top 5s, but Harvick's got more top 10s than him. And I don't know, it's a low-key season for Harvick. I think he's, he's earned a spot. In the round of eight, obviously he's not there after the incident, but I think he's a top eight driver uh, in NASCAR right now. But it was, I just can't, I keep going back to what the crowd was doing when that happened. I had a bunch of Chase fans around me. They were all going nuts. And when he just goes right into the turn one, it was, it was a wild place. Like I said, I've never seen Charlotte get that wild. If I had my pick on how that storyline for the Roval would have ended, I really was hoping that we'd get the cars bunched up and Chase Elliott would have sent him in, in some turn in the infield. And that I think that would have been a good ending to this chapter. But Chase, I guess, still hasn't had his revenge. And if something happens, I, don't, I wouldn't put it past Chase to uh, find a way to ruin Harvick's day, even though he's not contending for the championship. I do want to take a second, though, and talk conspiracy theories with you. I love conspiracy theories. All right, let's take a, let's take a moment here. Are you wearing a hat? I am t- wearing a hat. Okay, let's go ahead and take off our hats. All right, no cap. All right, hat is off. Now reach to your left and grab the tinfoil cap that I placed next to you How on your desk. How did that get there? I just, I just put it there. It's on. Okay, I'm going to put mine on. <laughs> Mine's uh, mine's automatic. What is this? Sound like a pick gun. <laughs> Dude, someone uh Oh, yeah, it was at the concert. The uh the Chris Lane concert. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if yeah. you heard it. The dude like whistled and it sounded like an air gun. Okay, while we're on the Chris Lane concert at uh topic, there was this dude. Okay, hold after- on. Take take your hat off real quick cuz we're not talking okay. conspiracies right now. Cap is off. But uh yeah. this um, dude came up to Tyler in a full like Ghostbusters costume. And like had like the little gun thing and like scanned them up and down and said, You're too drunk and just kept going around to different people at the concert, just scanning <laughs> them with this gun, like, You're too drunk, you're too drunk. But that was like five minutes after you left. <laughs> Dude, once I left, that was probably the the weirdest experience of my life. And it started when I turned around, I went through my beer can in the uh, in the uh, recycling bin because I'm a good guy. Just kidding, I threw it in the trash can, I don't care. Um so I was walking out and I walked by a group of cops and I was absolutely stunned to see them with, you know, automatic guns. Like they're getting ready to like, it was, it was as if it was about to go down and something crazy was about to happen. So I looked, I stared at him for a second. I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's pretty excessive. But then I was like at Charlotte event, people are crazy these days. Don't surprise me. So, uh, I had to park a mile away, just like you at the NASCAR hall of fame. And I had already logged like 12 miles uh, from walking around the track during the Xfinity series. So I said, screw it. I'm going to jump on a bird scooter. So I fire up the bird app, put some money in my account, jump on the scooter. I don't remember the bird scooters being that fast. 
they were ripping. So I, uh, I jump on the bird scooter, start heading down the sidewalk full speed. I mean, I, I don't even know how fast I was going. I think it said it was like 16 miles an hour. Felt way too fast. So I'm going, I'm just cruising at this point, looking around, enjoying the nice night, the city skyline. Uh, probably about seven minutes, seven or five, six, seven minutes go by. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I was pretty sure that the Hall of Fame was a straight shot from where I uh, jumped on the scooter. It was not a straight shot. That's so I awesome. ended up in a random part of Charlotte. And I, I that was my first time down in downtown Charlotte. No idea where I was at. My phone had like one bar and I couldn't pull up the mask. I'm like, I am alone in downtown Charlotte on a bird scooter with no cell service. This is not good. So I sat there. I just I rode around, tried to find my way back, and I finally got enough bars to uh, to find the uh, find the Hall of Fame. I was three quarters of a mile away from like I, I went basically a mile past the Hall of Fame on another street. So I had to turn around and you know rip it backwards. But uh, it was it was quite the quite the time on the good old birdie. That's hilarious. I wish I would have known this. Yeah, when you exit, if you like walk straight to the back, like to the right. Like the right exit, you just follow that street straight back, and the NASCAR Hall of Fame was there. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah, but, but <laughs> that's awesome. I don't. Yeah, I was. I was. I want to say that I wasn't scared, but I kept hitting potholes too, and I was like, I'm about to like crash this bird scooter, break my neck, and I can't do anything about it because there's no one around, and I don't have any cell service. So this this might be my demise right here. I in thought you were going to say you crashed it. And I was going to be like, dang, that's wild. No, dude, I was close. I kept, I, I was trying, I, like I was, I was hitting the throttle with one hand, had my phone in my other hand, trying to figure out how to get to the Hall of Fame. And I, I hit this one like little bumper pothole or whatever in the sidewalk. And it was like my front wheel got squirrely and I'm like, ah! <laughs> like it was, it was an audible. It, that's great. Like it, it, it sounded just like that. Anyways. Okay. Back to conspiracy theory and like grab, grab my hat. Okay, it's on. Is yours on? Uh, yep, I just put mine on. Okay, all right. Here's a conspiracy that someone brought up to Brad Gilly on uh, Sirius XM after the race. So after Kev- the Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott deal, they spent a lot of time in the pits taping the rear bumper to the car. And for a number of laps, it was very secure. It was not moving. Then they come in for their green flag pit stop, and all of a sudden, a couple laps later, it comes loose. Do you think that they purposely, I don't know how they would do unless they just straight up cut it, but do you think they loosened it up so that their rear bumper would come off and cause a caution so that they could uh, get back and uh, find a way to get back into the playoffs? Yeah, you got to think at a time like that, they're going to do what they got to do to make the next round. And coming into the race, I think he was like two points below the cut line. And after the Harvick situation, uh, Chase just wasn't a race winning car. He was competitive, but I don't think he could have won that race. So no shot. I-, I think he's like eventually would have to do it and cut it a little bit, maybe because it just it's wild because he needed the caution. And he was the reason for the caution. And at any other track, apparently it's not a rule at road courses that if the bumper's hanging off like that, like 
they're not going to call a caution or black flag the guy. I just I find the whole situation interesting and wouldn't put it past like a NASCAR team to purposely loosen the bumper since it's already damaged. I mean, it's genius because if Byron wins, they're both out. So it you're kind of colluding against your own teammate, but for the sake of the defending champion, you I I wouldn't put it past them for a little little funny business on their end. And it worked. I don't think anything's going to come of it. But I would I think it'd be interesting to see the uh the pit stop recording to see if they touched the rear bumper, nudged it, you know, whatever. I wasn't around the uh around his pit stall. I was I was around his pit stall bunch, but I wasn't there for that pit stop. So I can't I can't elaborate on it, but it's just just a hunch. We're behind the wall media and the one spot that you needed to be behind the wall you weren't. I think it's unacceptable. I was behind another wall. Uh, that makes it all worthwhile now. I was, I believe, I was in the garage. Uh, yeah, I was in the, yeah, I was in the garage, doing something. I got you. I, I, I will was, say that I, like I was like a halfsy uh, garage reporter. I was, I had all the different hats on on Sunday. <laughs> the bridge shots that y'all got were insane. I love that spot of the track. Same with like Dover. All the bridge spots that like you're looking straight over the track. Those shots are always the best. It was an absolute blast. So we had a good race. A lot of storylines that are going to carry over to the next race and to the round of eight. But we also had a lot of other news this weekend that was broke. Uh, we'll start with the first one. We'll briefly touch on this. Uh, Hesburgh Racing dis- uh, will be racing part-time 2022 with the next-gen car. Um, they're going to be running road courses. Makes sense that uh, – they're coming from a the their NASCAR Euro team or Euro NASCAR one of the two. They're coming over to Cup to make more money and compete, especially with this new next gen car, which should level the playing field. Uh, with his road course experience, I think they might be able to jump in and have instant success. And I like what they're doing because uh, a lot of teams will come into NASCAR and they go full time. <clears throat> Rick Ware. Uh, and they go full-time, and they're just a backmarker team, and they, they can't do anything about it. But I, th- I like their strategy of starting with what they know they can race on, which is road courses, and slowly uh, upping the schedule throughout the, uh, throughout the years that they're in NASCAR. So instead of jumping in, they're dipping their toes in their bread and butter. So I'm excited to see what this team does. I'm not a huge fan of the paint scheme. I don't think it's that as bad as people are uh, saying, but at the same time, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird concept and it might just be uh might just be because it was the first next gen car I'd seen wrapped in with that um with the number placement in person. Yeah, I think the cool thing with that is they're coming over from Euro NASCAR, so it'll be they get to bring a whole new set of eyes over to American NASCAR for those that yeah. don't watch it over Bunch there. Of Netherland Netherlandians, yeah, whatever but you call if, them. If you've been on like Twitter or anything today, like. They almost wrecked that car. They were coming <laughs> onto the uh, big oval, and it snapped right. And uh, I thought they were going to pin the wall, but he ended up saving it. But um, it, it, Corey LaJoy's talked about the next-gen car. They've had the test the past two days. He said, first run recap, these cars are fun. And then he gave a bigger update later. He said, a first day recap. He said, everything is new. Sequential shifters are awesome. The cars look cool. There are some bugs to work out. And these cars will give small teams a much bigger chance to be competitive than I anticipated, which for the new team coming in with uh, low funding, obviously, they didn't announce any sponsors yet. 
this could be good. Somebody from Spire Motorsports, not a big team, saying that they might be able to win races. We could see Richard Petty getting in victory lane again. Uh, Trackhouse, 23-11. I think they're going to be in victory lane with Kurt Busch for a couple times. Um, there's just so many, like, the mid-tier teams that we talked about in the Xfinity series. Like, we could have the mid-tier teams at Cup find victory lane. I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to next season. Hopefully it all works out. And uh, another piece of news, uh, Rick Ware Racing, they have a technical alliance with Stuart Haas Racing and Roush Yates. This was interesting because obviously on the, uh, the, the itinerary for the media center, they said that it was a Rick Ware Racing announcement. Hold on, I'm trying to get I, like a hair that, or piece of dust that just landed on my nose and I could not get it off and it was making me want to sneeze. Uh, so they they called the press conference and Rick Ware walks in along with, uh, is it Joe Custer? I have zero clue. Okay, so Custer from Stuart Haas and a guy with uh, Roush Yates. They walk in and then a couple Rick Ware racing drivers walk in and I'm sitting next to Adam. I'm like, Holy cow! I th- they might call it quits, and this might Cody be Cody Ware to Stewart Haas Racing. Yeah, I was like, they this might be the end of Rick Ware Racing, and then uh, they all after, once the uh, press conference started, it was high spirited. So I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be interesting because I, originally I thought it was going to be a charter sale. They were going to announce that they sold one of their charters, but they ended up partnering with Stewart Haas Racing, and I believe one of the cars this weekend was a Stewart Haas car. Uh, if that was the case, I'm very disappointed with how the cars or all the Rick Ware cars performed along with whichever one was the Stuart Haas. I think it was the one with uh, Joey Hand. Um, I'm interested to see how this turns out. I have high-ish hopes that they might be able to be like a colleague type team uh, and find a way to be decent every now and then, maybe sneak a win. But after this weekend, uh, I think my expectations kind of – I took a step back with my expectations. I understand it's only uh, one week, and they don't, they're going to have more time as uh, as the rest of the season progresses in the offseason and the next-gen car. It's going to be different. But I, I don't have high hopes for this being a blockbuster move that really lifts Rick Ware Racing out of the ashes. Yeah, Rick Ware Racing's uh really interesting because you look at uh... – a cup race on any given weekend and you have at least one caution where Rick Ware car is wrecking uh, driver equipment that probably a little bit of both considering the people that they have in the car. I think James Davison is probably the best guy in there like week in and week out in that car. But I agree in the charter standings right now, there's the 52 Rick Ware racing car, six points above uh, 34th, the 51 car and 33rd, 53 and 34th, and the 15 and 35, all Rick Ware cars. And if the 51 finishes in the bottom 33 in standings for a third straight year, they'll get their charter revoked. So it might not be a Rick Ware selling the charter. It might be NASCAR taking the charter from them and then them auctioning it off. So it, if you're Stuart Haas and you're providing help to this team, you got to think like they're not smart with this all they have to do is not have the 52 have a good week, put somebody else than Cody Ware in the 51 car. And you might have a decent week, get the points you need and stay safe. Cause at this point they're competing against themselves. Starcom's in 36, 30 points behind the cutoff line. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting as we progress through the rest of the season to see if that 
now it ends up happening and they get their charter revoked. If I were him, I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to sell this, uh, take all the questions out of the air, whether you're going to get it revoked or not, and just take the $10 million and give it to 2311 or uh, GMS, who also announced that they're going to be full-time cup racing next season with Ty Dillon in the 94 car. Uh, I like this partnership a lot. Uh, I also like the way they're handling it. They're they're basically going at it uh, with a mindset that, yes, a charter would be nice, but we're still going to run and we're still going to try to be competitive even if we don't have a charter. And I think uh, GMS is very different from the other teams that are running as an open car. Uh, I, I see him kind of being like a Ryan Priest type deal where it's a, it's, it's a open car, doesn't have tons of funding, but they find a way to run decent. They, they find a way to run well for their standing. Yeah, we've seen GMS run good in trucks. Obviously, a uh, championship team last year, probably a championship team this year. They've fielded Xfinity cars with Spencer Gallagher, uh, John Hunter Nemechek, and various other people in the Xfinity series. So I don't think uh, funding will be a problem for this team. But I think Ty Dillon's a very good, experienced Cup Series driver to come in there and uh, push GMS forward, especially with qualifying and practice back next year. Ty Dillon's has Cup experience. Ty Dillon's uh, impressed in every Xfinity start he's had this year with Joe Gibbs and even with Al Motorsports. I think Ty Dillon is the right driver for this car. I have no idea who it would have been if it wasn't Ty Dillon. Yeah, I don't think they would bring anyone up from Cup or Xfinity. Maybe a uh, Daniel Hamrick if Ty Dillon didn't end up in the seat. But I like I like this partnership. They're they're partner enough with Richard Childress Racing, which makes sense because obviously Ty Dillon is Richard's grandson. Uh, a lot of people are wondering why they didn't go with Hendrick since GMS and Hendrick already have a decent relationship. Um, but it, it, I, I think they're destined for success if they play their cards right and they're not dumb with it like a lot of the other teams are so if they if they play their cards right we might see them in uh in contention for a couple wins next year and if not a win at least running you know top 15 a couple times during uh, throughout the season yeah i'm excited to see what gms can do we've seen um we've seen what they did with jtg and uh, have the 37 car. It's not a chartered car, but it raced its way into the Daytona 500, and now they have been able to race the whole season without a problem. But uh, since practice and qualifying are back next year, they shouldn't have a problem being an open team going in and trying to compete each and every week. But Charlotte's in the past. Uh, we've had a lot of news come out. We got Texas this weekend. Uh, don't know whether to be excited or dread it because – it is Texas. Man I'm excited Speedway. when they get resin instead of PJ one. So I think that'll help out just a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's Texas. We never know where we're going to get uh, sticky stuff is on the track, but Kyle Larson looked really good there in the all-star race. I don't know if they modified the package for that race at all. I can't remember. It feels like that was forever ago, but I don't, I don't think so. I think it was just the, the stage links were the only modification. Yeah. Cause that race was a, uh, the All-Star race is pretty solid. Kyle Larson ended up winning it, obviously, but the racing throughout was really good. So maybe there is some hope for uh, Texas to be a good race. Obviously, Kyle Busch won there last year in the fall. But uh, starting the champion or the round of eight, championship four is the next round. 
has your championship four predictions changed since the start of the playoffs? No, I've still I've still got my championship four intact. I got Elliott, Larson, Kyle Busch, and Logano, and I'm still I, I still think that that's going to be the final four, just based off of Logano's consistency. Kyle Busch, uh, he's won at the remaining three tracks, and he's still contending. It's it's a lot different. It's it, the situation this year is a lot different from last year. He's actually able to run well, contend for wins. So I think Kyle Busch still gets into the final four. Kyle Larson, obviously, especially since we have two mile-and-a-half tracks before Martinsville to cut off race. And Chase Elliott, he's won at Kansas, and he's won at Martinsville, so I don't know how you count him out. Uh, my round of eight was uh, iffy. Uh, I had Byron still in the round of eight and Kurt Busch. Obviously wrong because uh, Keselowski and Hamlin, uh, are, they were there instead of him. But overall, I'm still I'm still happy with my predictions. I've still I'm still confident that Chase Elliott goes back to back this season. Uh, just a little setback after this weekend. Yeah, my championship four. I think I'd probably make one change. Originally, I had uh, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., Chase Elliott, and Denny Hamlin. At this point, I think I might have to take out Chase Elliott and uh, put in Kyle Busch just because Kyle Busch is running pretty consistent and like you said he's won at the last three tracks obviously he's won at every track on the nascar circuit but won at texas in the same race last year granted it was at night and it was like wasn't it in the middle of the week or is that this year i'm not sure what did you what did you ask i was uh i was drinking some tea i was just thinking when when was that texas race that lasted like 20 days Remember it was scheduled. Uh, that was for... last last spring. Okay, I could not remember when it was. Or summer. But uh, spring or summer. Yeah. Because I got I got railed from y'all about my no wait. Was it? Yes. Was it yes, because it was my 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 rain prediction. That's true. Yeah, but I think Kyle Busch won there last year. It was at night, but I think uh, you can still carry over information. So I think instead of Chase Elliott, I put Kyle Busch. So my. Final four would be Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, and Denny Hamlin. And then I have Larson winning the championship, but Denny Hamlin is making a strong case for a championship favorite at this point. I agree. I I think Denny Hamlin's going to have a rough round of eight, and the other cars are going to find a way to shine. I just don't see Denny Hamlin winning at any of these tracks except for Martinsville, but I think Chase Elliott's going to win at Martinsville, so that will essentially knock him out. Um but yeah, Texas this weekend. I'm excited just because round of eight. I think the the drama from the previous week's gonna continue over to this week. So we should see a pretty decent race. I'm glad they don't have the PJ one in the turns. They've got the resin instead, which has shown this year that it's it's a better option uh, to give the drivers grip and to promote multiple lanes of racing. So I'm excited for it. But let's go ahead and jump into race winners, dark horse, Joshi. Who you got this weekend? Ooh, uh, I'm going to say Chris Buescher builds off his momentum from the Roval. He finished third there. I think he's going to run pretty solid this weekend at Texas. But then race winner, I don't know. I could be bland and say Kyle Larson because he won the all-star race there and he's uh, coming off a win at Charlotte. But I don't know. I'm going to say Denny Hamlin. He's going to keep this trend alive and win in the first race of every round. Aha. You fool. You're picking the whole Larson. point of the race winners is to pick the winner. So you left me Kyle Larson. Uh, 
mile and a half king this season, won the all-star race at Texas. Obviously, he's he's going to win this weekend, duh, unless something crazy happens. Dark Horse, I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick. Uh, had a great race this past weekend. He's been showing up, uh, especially for the mile and a half this season. RCR's been fast on him. I think this could be the weekend where he breaks through and finds a way into victory lane, which would be interesting in terms of the playoffs since he's no longer in the playoffs. Uh, almost pulled it off a couple weeks ago, but stuff happens. But I got uh, good old Tyler Reddick, Dark Horse. I'm surprised you didn't take Larson. I was, but I don't know. Denny Hamlin's just been so good, and I think we might have a, a pretty solid battle for the lead back and forth between Larson and Hamlin because both of them really excel at the mile and a half. Yeah, I can't blame you there, but yeah. All right. Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. It's going to be a good race. Sunday, October 17th, 2 p.m. Be there. Be square. It's going to be rowdy down in Texas. This Behind the Wall podcast. We'll see you soon.